Well, this is week three in the Broken Hallelujah series. Uh, next week, uh, my brother-in-law will be sharing with us. Uh, I'll be out. i got to have a little procedure done, so I'll be out next week. And the next two Wednesday nights, uh, Kim is, has graciously off, uh, offered. I asked her, and she was gracious enough to share with our church. So, uh, so anyhow, it'll be a good couple of, couple of weeks in that, too. Uh, so... Anyhow, this will be this week, and then uh, our Easter, which will be two Sundays from today, is also the conclusion of this series when we look at Jesus. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed uh, the series. I know for me it has. Anytime you know you dig into some of these Old Testament characters' lives, it's, it's interesting. Uh, reading the book of Hebrews chapter 11, honestly, it can make you feel like a, a failure in comparison to their lives, you know. There's nothing but commending them for all these amazing things they've done. And you're like, oh, I've never done any of that. I've, I've done the opposite. And so what we've tried to do is realize that these, these men all have messed up lives. All three of these men, today we'll look at Jacob. They all have messed up lives. And it's what's, what makes testimony so powerful. It's because, uh, and maybe I'm the only one that's ever felt this way. Have you ever heard somebody give a testimony where they're like, my whole life I followed Jesus? And you're like... That's, that's, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like the testimonies I buy into when somebody's like, man, you won't believe this. I've done this, this, and this. And you're like, all right, God can save him. I'm not as bad as, you know, like we like to do that stuff, compare ourselves. And, and so it's what makes testimony so great is that we go through stuff. We share those things and people share in our experiences with us. And, and that's what we're trying to do is we can relate to those failures. And so that's been the ideal behind these three men that we've looked at. We learn through Noah that sometimes broken hallelujahs, we bring them into our lives by the things we do. Last week we looked at Abraham and realized that these broken hallelujahs, they're sometimes just thrown into our life. And today we're going to look at Jacob and realize that sometimes we're just born into a broken hallelujah. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we have, for uh, blessing us with beautiful worship. God, we thank you. And as we have been ushered into your presence, Lord, we ask that as this message goes forth, Lord, that you would just begin to speak to each and every person here. God, whatever struggle or circumstances brought them to this place, that today, God, they could lay it at the foot of the cross. And so, uh, God, I ask that your anointing flow and that you begin to speak to each and every person in here. And we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there was a study done in Baltimore, uh, 2014, where it was concluded in 2014, but it took place over the span of 25 years. And they looked at 800 school-age kids from the age of 5 all the way to the age of 30. And they were trying to figure out what happens when these children transition into adulthood. And so the conclusion of this 25-year study was that kids become the situation they're born into. And so essentially when they did this study, they looked at all different social economics and, and all these different things. And, and their conclusion was if you were born in poverty, you end up in poverty. If you were born to abusive parents, you end up being an abusive parent. That was the conclusion of this study. Now I do believe if you're born into a situation that you're predisposed to that situation, but I do not believe that it's the narrative of your life, right? If I was born into a family that struggled with addiction, I would then be predisposed to having addictions in my life. But I also know, as we look through scripture, that the narrative of your life isn't based on where you're born. It's based on where you go. And so I, I know that to be true. And as I was looking into this, there was this lady that I was fascinated with. Her name's Stephanie Fast. And and I want to tell you just a brief bit of her story. Um, Stephanie Fast, who's now a grandmother, but when she was born, she didn't know her original name, she doesn't know her birth date, and she does not know the place of her birth other than she knows she was born in Korea. Her mother conceived her out of wedlock. 
with an American soldier shortly after the Korean War. And so in Korea at that time, to be a biracial female uh, meant you were rejected and ostracized. And so Stephanie's mother abandoned her at the age of four at a train stop. Just one day dropped her off at a train stop and left her and never went back for her. And so she was forced to live on the streets and fend for herself. And, and more than likely, her mom probably concluded she would die of starvation. I mean, a four-year-old fending for yourself on these streets. Well, she didn't. She survived. But she was considered this throwaway kid. And so she was physically abused. She was abused in other ways. She faced all these different things by living on the street. The Korean kids called her Tuki, which meant alien devil. She was deemed literally worthless in the eyes of where she grew up at. And so to survive, she survived on mice and locusts and whatever she could find to eat in a garbage dump that she made home. So she grew up with dozens of other kids, all them, all them orphans, and she was disposed every single day to not only her friends dying, but others dying around her. But around the age of nine, when she had never known what security was, never knew what the assurance of a loving family was, everything began to change. And God brought healing into Stephanie's life as a missionary couple adopted her and brought her back to the U.S. And, and when they adopted her, they gave her an identity, they gave her a home, but more importantly, they gave her a place where she belongs. And, and so hearing that story, it would not shock you if I then turned out to say, well, she's been incarcerated the rest of her life. Or if I said she's living in this broken life of addiction, right? If I said those things to you based off of how, what she was born into, you would go, that's understandable. That's what happens with those people. But that's the, she's the opposite of that. She's a successful wife, mother, grandmother, and she advocates for sex trafficking and orphans. And she's a best-selling author. And I look at this story and I think to myself, because you're born into brokenness, doesn't mean that you're actually a broken person, right? It's just a broken hallelujah in the testimony that God has for your life. You know, this idea of broken hallelujah came from the song Hallelujah when Leonard Cohen said the word hallelujah to him, who he was an agnostic, not a religious man at all, he viewed hallelujah as his acceptance of what life is, and he realized that love came in and broke up what life was really like. And as Christians, we understand that we accept life how it is, understanding that things happen to wreck our world, but God is the one that restores those and breaks those brokenness in the, in the, into this hallelujah story. In, in the Bible, when I think of a broken hallelujah, and I think of being born into a situation similar to what we read, there's no man that fits this awkward life more than Jacob. And so if you will, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 25, we're going to read a little bit of, of, of his story. Genesis 25, we'll start in verse number 21. You know, like as you're turning there, what's amazing is we have a lot of chapters and verses on Abraham, and we have a lot of chapters and verses on, uh, um, on Jacob, but what's crazy is we really don't know much about his father Isaac, you know? We know Isaac from Abraham's story, we know Isaac from Jacob's story, but other than that, we get just a small picture of who he is. Um, so it's interesting that this starts off, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. And so we conclude that Isaac is a godly man. We know he is because he's listed in the Hall of Faith himself. But what unfolds in the life of Jacob kind of strikes you as something different. Uh, so Isaac prayed, for, uh, prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And, and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? 
So she went to acquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were, two, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out in his hand holding Esau's seal, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I don't, I'm about to die. Of what, of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and, and, and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau, Esau despised his birthright. You want to talk about a reality show. Can you imagine that? You have this, uh, they're born into this really unique situation their mother is barren, like their grandmother. Uh, and so Isaac prays, and, and she's not just blessed with one child, she's blessed with two. And, and from what we read, it seems that they were literally fighting inside of her. To the point that she says, God, if you're going to give me kids, why do I feel this inside of me? And God says, you, you do have kids. You have twins, and, and they're going to be separated as two nations. And, and, and this is all before they're ever even born. And then we have this picture of, of Esau coming out, and it sounds like Elmo's being born, right? He's covered in red. He's all hairy. And uh, I practiced that joke on my wife. She loved it. Um, but he's all hairy and red. You're like, oh, that's weird. And then you find that Jacob is holding on to his heel as he comes out. Uh, it's, just, it's just a unique story. To the point it's so unique that Jacob, because he's holding his brother's heel when he comes out, is given the name Cheater. Isn't it, I mean, can you imagine going through life with the name Cheater? Like the whole, every time you introduce yourself to somebody, they think, can I trust this person? His name is, is Cheater, right? Like, it's like having a boy named Sue. You just don't do those things. And so, so Jacob, as an infant, is given this name. And, of course, we know him as Deceiver, which is another translation of Cheater. And so Jacob gets his name from that, that he takes by the heel or he cheats what his, is what his name means. Uh, so can you imagine being born into that circus? You're called cheater, but God said you'll be great, right? What a, what a crazy life to live. Like You introduce yourself to people as cheater, but knowing that there's a promise that God said you're going to be great. And that, that seems like a struggle that would take place inside your life. And so he's balancing this pressure of being destined for greatness. A whole nation will be, come from him. Uh, but also dealing with the reality of being this guy who's known as being a cheater and deceiver from his birth. Then we find the story even uniquer, if that's a word, that not only is he a deceiver, he's very effeminate. Um, while all the boys are playing outside, Jacob's inside cooking. You know, he would rather watch Martha Stewart than Duck Dynasty, right? That's his, that's his preference. And so his brother's out slaying animals and Jacob's just chilling in the tent with his mom, you know, watching soap operas and whatever they did at that time. You know, 
He was this mama's boy, named cheater, destined for greatness. Can you imagine being born into a situation where all these things seemingly are stacked against you? Like, how is he going to be this great man when he's effeminate by his personality? He's named uh, a cheater, but he's destined for greatness. Now, the cheater did cheat his brother out of his birthright twice uh, because, of his because of this destructive favoritism. Um, and that destructive favoritism would eventually sever the relationship between Jacob and his favorite child, Joseph, right? Uh, so hear me when I say this today. You're not destined to what you're born into, but you are held responsible for the decisions you make, right? Just because I'm born into a situation, if I'm born into addiction, doesn't mean that I'm destined to be an addict. But if I become an addict, it means that I'll pay for the consequences of the decisions that I've made. Jacob didn't have to be this destructive person in this favoritism towards his son. He knew how it affected his own family. But he chose to still choose one son over all the others. And as a result, it severed a relationship between him and his favorite child. And so Jacob would have to flee to his uncle Laban's house at the conclusion of deceiving his brother. Um, and Esau vowed to kill Jacob, and Jacob believed it. And so did Rebekah, his mother. And so Rebekah said, no, no, you got to go. you got to get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. You've taken what is his. And so Jacob flees, and he goes to his uncle Laban's house. And why else would you go to your uncle's house and to look for a wife? And so he goes to, uh, isn't it weird how the Old Testament is sometimes? I, see, we live so close to Alabama that this doesn't shock us. But I'm telling you, if we lived a little further north, we'd be like, that's crazy. He went to, like, we're talking about cousins marrying and all this stuff. And, and we're like, well, I get it. I, got, I know somebody. But this is, so he goes to his uncle's house to find a bride within his cousins. And so the cheater gets cheated by his uncle, and for 14 years he works to receive the wife that he really wants, which is Rachel, who he loves with all his heart. After he departs his uncle's land, he encounters his brother 20 years later, and he's fearful for his life. But he finds out that the reunion between the two of them is very warm. And so countless times we see the personality of Jacob displayed through his family. All of them, including Jacob, were born into these situations. They did not ask for the parents they got. They did not ask for the troubles they faced. And they surely didn't ask for the brokenness that ensued from their upbringing. And sadly, that's the story for a lot of people. And a lot of times it's the excuse for the things that they go through. I was just born into this. I can't help that I'm abusive a person. I was born into an abusive family. I can't help that I do the things I do. I was born into that. And I imagine if we were to talk to Jacob's kids, they'd go, I, I'm, I know I'm a deceiver. I was born from the deceiver. I know that I show favoritism to other people. I was born into favoritism. And we find that the life they were born into continues to haunt them as they get older. Yet each one of them handles it uh, each a little differently. I mean, you want to talk about being born into a confusing situation. If the study was correct, Jacob, the cheater, was destined one day to work for the IRS. But being born into brokenness does not mean that we stay the way we are. Being born into brokenness doesn't mean that we stay the way we are. I want to point out a couple of things that, that I see from this story. First is that God is faithful even when we are not. Have you heard that before? Three weeks in a row I've said that, um, that same point. It's because I feel so strongly that it's something that we all need to hear every single week. That God is faithful even when we're not. 
when that sinks inside of our lives, it makes things a little more manageable. When I know that even though I'm going to screw up and make mistakes, God is going to remain faithful to his promises and more importantly, faithful to me, uh, it makes life a little more manageable. God is faithful even when we're not. If we fast forward to Genesis 35, we see the faithfulness of God. And to let you know the mental state that we see Jacob in in chapter 35, everything that I've talked about in his life has happened up until this point. And what has just immediately happened is that Jacob has just come to the realization that his daughter had just been raped by a community of people. And after that rape of his daughter, Levi and Simeon, they go and they exact revenge on that, on that group of people. They deceive them into thinking that they're following God, and they kill them all when they least expect it. Jacob is mad at his children, uh, but I'm sure that he's hurt for his daughter. You can imagine what Jacob's going through in this moment. And so Jacob had a dream early in his life. Before he was even married, he had a dream where he saw this ladder with angels ascending and descending from heaven. And he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And he made this statement after waking from his dream. And I call this the second sadliest statement in the whole Bible. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. That's a sad state of the spiritual place in which Jacob was in. Jacob was so consumed with deceiving people, he had just deceived his brother out of his birthright, that God literally made his presence known in a dream to him. And he woke up and said, surely God was here, and I didn't even know it. And so at the beginning of chapter 35, we see God tell Jacob to go back to Bethel. Essentially, he says, go back to the house of God. I want to pause here for a minute. Because for somebody here today, I felt so strong as I was preparing these notes that you really need to hear this part right here. That you face trouble after trouble, fight after fight, failure after failure. And God wants you to know, you just need to go back to Bethel. You need to get back to God, to where he is. You need to get back to spending time with him and making God the priority of your life. Maybe the problems you or your family they're facing today is because you've neglected God, right? And I feel that so strong this morning that, that, that it's too easy to make excuse after excuses why we can't go back to where God is when the reality is he just wants us back. And so many times you encounter people and they say, man, we're going through this stuff right here. And you go, how's life at church? And they go, I can't go right now. I got too much on my plate. And God is screaming like he did to Jacob. Everything's falling apart in your life. You're, you're shaking. Your family's shaking. You've got blood on your hands. Your daughter is emotional wreck. You're an emotional wreck. You've got to go back to Bethel. You've got to go back to where you saw my angels ascending and descending from heaven. And the question you have to ask yourself today is, maybe you brought that into your life. Maybe it was thrown into your life. Maybe you were born into it. Or maybe, just maybe, what's in your life is because you departed where God was. And God wants you to come back to him. And he wants to restore the things in your life. But he can't work on people who flee his country. Come back to God. Come back to Bethel. God's waiting for your return. This morning, he's commanding you to return back. Jacob may have been born into a crazy story, but God remained faithful to him. Later on in Genesis 35, 9 through 12, God appeared to Jacob again. When he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. 
And so he called his name Israel, and, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring. Even though Jacob had been a cheater, a deceiver from the day he was born, he was not cheated from God's faithfulness. In the moment when he needed God the most, God said, you've got to stop living like that. And God changed his name. And then God said, you've got to go back where you're from. And when you get back, I want you to live in the promises that I've been faithful to this whole time. Because God's faithfulness is not dependent upon us. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon us. God is faithful despite what we bring into our lives, what's thrown into our life, or what we're born into. His faithfulness is not just blessing us with lots of children, but it's saving us from a dire situation. Jesus made a promise that he would one day receive his bride back to him. And he is faithful to that by sticking to his promises. This morning I, I want you to know that despite the life you were born into, God is faithful. And his faithfulness will save you and will set you on a path that brings you back to Bethel. If God, who is faithful to his promises, does it in the life of a cheater and deceiver like Jacob, he'll do it in your life too. Because God is faithful to the promises he makes. And he's faithful even when we're the cheater and we're the deceiver and we're the one who's trying to flee as far as we can from God. He's faithful and he restores us to him and he puts us back on a path that brings us to Bethel. You do not have to remain the person you are, but God can do something incredible in your life. And not because of you, but because of his faithfulness. As caring individuals, we all have family members that we worry about. Whether it be for their relationships, whether it be for their home, whether it be for their profession, or maybe it's for their soul. Every one of us have people that we care about, that they weigh on our hearts heavenly. And what I love about the story is the illustration of God's faithfulness is that it appears that God is faithful to godly intercessors, right? Don't you love that? That verse said, at the very end of the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. What God is saying is, I made a promise to Abraham. Abraham interceded for his family. I made a promise to Isaac. Isaac interceded for his family. And though you may not have been as faithful as you should have been, I'm faithful to the promise I made. The encouraging part of that is as we wrestle with all the emotions that we have for family members who are going through things, we get the encouragement from this verse that if we intercede on their behalf, God is faithful not because of their lifestyle, but because of our intercession. How many times has that prodigal come home, not because of something amazing that they've done, but because there was someone who hit their knees every single night and prayed for them? I'm a product of prayer. My mom spent hours praying for all of her children. And the reason all three of her children are active in church is because God was faithful to her prayers. He wasn't faithful to my rebellious lifestyle or my sister's rebellious lifestyle. He was faithful to the prayers of her. And so if you're praying for someone, don't stop. Because God hears the cries of his people and he's faithful to those cries. And if you've been with us in the book of Revelation, you know even if he's not faithful here, he's faithful in eternity. He will exact judgment on people because of us and our cries. Intercede on their behalf. Trust God's faithfulness. And I promise you, you'll see reconciliation in places that you didn't think it would ever happen. 
Why? Because God's faithful even when we're not. God hears the cries for your family and He's faithful. And He's faithful to bring them back to where they are from. The second thing from this story is the life you're born with does not have to be the life that you pass on. So the misconception that a lot of times we hear, especially in the world of like psychology and stuff like that, is, is that if you're born into the situation, you're going to be that person, right? If you're born into this type of lifestyle, that's the lifestyle you're going to probably experience when you get older. Jacob was born into deceitfulness, and that was facilitated by his parents. And while Jacob surely passed those traits to his kids, he did something beautiful at the end of his life. A man who was known really for his selfishness, for caring only about himself, does this really beautiful thing. He adopts the sons of Joseph. You may go, all right, that's cool. What's two more kids when he's got 100? Um, but remember, the blessings of Isaac were shrouded in deceit. Everything that Isaac poured out, the blessings that he gave forth, all of that was shrouded in deceit. Like, we don't look at that and go, oh, it's clear. That's what was supposed to happen. You get the feeling that Esau was supposed to get it, but then you read, and, and God said Isaac, um, Isaac was supposed to pass it to Jacob, and, and so there's just this confusion surrounded around it. And so a man who had passed on this characteristics of being deceitful, one of the final things he does in his life is make sure there's no controversy on the blessings that he puts forward, and so he adopts the sons of Joseph. And Jacob de decides to allow his death to carry on through blessing and not through deceit. So if he was the person he was born into, he should have been deceitful in his death. But he chose to pass on a different legacy. And so J Jacob changed the narrative of the future that was supposed to come to him. No longer was it about who could manipulate for a blessing. It was about who could be included in the blessing. Hebrews 11, 1, uh, 11.21 says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bound worship over the head of his staff. So Jacob looked at those two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were just small because they're sitting in the lap of Joseph, and he begins to put a blessing on them. And he can't see. He's literally in the, almost the same state as his father. And Joseph brings both of them forward, and, and he can't really see. And so the oldest one's on his right side, the youngest one is on his left side, which is traditionally what would happen because he would pour his blessing out on his right hand and, and then bless the other one. So Jacob does something unique. He, he switches the script on his son, and he swaps his hand, and Joseph, Joseph's going, oh my God, we got another Jacob and Esau situation here, and he goes, Dad, hang on a second, uh, your hands are crossed, you've got them opposite, and he said, no, no, that's how it's supposed to be. And what we find is that these two that are included into the adoption of his, not only do they get the inheritance of Jacob's uh, when, a legacy when he dies, but they also, we find them in the book of Revelation, Right? one of the tribes of the 144,000. They were not only adopted into what his riches were, they were adopted into the blessings that God had. And they were adopted into the eternal future that God has for his family. The study, that study that we read at the beginning references uh, are saying that if you're born into a bad situation, you'll pass it along and remain in it. But the Bible tells us a different story, and it tells us if you're born into brokenness, that you can have the narrative changed and it becomes a broken hallelujah. I love the picture of Jacob and Jacob's ladder, which was this picture of a coming Savior. And so Jacob sees these angels ascending and descending from heaven, and he realizes, he realizes he's in the presence of God, that he now has access to heaven, and he sees the access point. 
But Jesus, who has the name of Jacob's ladder, came to earth and he became the ladder that the angels. Now we have access to God through him. And guess what seed he came from? From Jacob. Because God was faithful even when those along the lineage weren't. And God was faithful even when Jacob was a deceiver. And even though he was born into a situation that he should have resulted his life in, we find that he changed the narrative. And the narrative was changed so much that the ladder that he once saw became the ladder of the seed and gave us the authority to go boldly before God because now we have access through his son. And so just because your parents divorced doesn't mean that you have to. You can change the narrative. And just because your dad was an addict doesn't mean that you have to be one. You can change the narrative. And just because you were hurt doesn't mean that you have to hurt others. You can change the narrative. You do not have to be your past because we've been presented with a beautiful future. Jesus has given us reconciliation. Though I was born into a hopeless situation, I now have hope. I don't have hope in my family. I have hope in he who came to redeem me from this broken lifestyle. That he looked down and saw the struggles and the pain that I would go through and said, I can't let him go through that. Whatever it costs, I'll do it. And the cost was his life. And he said, I can't let that just be another broken person. I have to transform him. And the narrative of your life doesn't have to be brokenness anymore. Now it can be a broken hallelujah. Where you say, yeah, I was born into a situation that shook me to the core. But now I can put forth a different story. It's just a part of my testimony. Like Stephanie Fast, who stands in front of thousands of people to share her testimony, not only in churches, but in public gatherings. And she says, it was the hope of Jesus that caused me not to be a rebellious person. And because he came into my life, that's just a part of my testimony. The narrative can change. You don't have to be the person you were born as. You don't have to turn out the way your parents did. You don't have to be the person you were brought up as. Everything can change, and it changes at the foot of the cross. And so today, undoubtedly, God is calling you back to Bethel. You want to get things right, come back to me. The picture of the dream is, is this stairway was coming from the seed of Jacob that if you were born into a broken situation, you don't have to remain there. Don't ever leave this place and go, surely the presence of God was there and I didn't even know it. God's presence is here. And what he wants to do is transform your story. He wants you to take this brokenness and turn it into a testimony of a broken hallelujah. God wants to gather you home. God wants to restore you. God wants to change your future. And God wants your brokenness to just be a broken hallelujah. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning. God, that you came to our rescue when we needed you the most. We'll never understand it. We can't comprehend what kind of love does that. But we're so thankful for that. God, today, we don't have to be who we were born as. Today, we can lean upon your faithfulness as you restore our lives and breathe hope into hopelessness. God, today, I pray for each and every person here. God, as some have struggled with all the brokenness in their life, they struggle with all the failures that they feel they have on their record. They struggle with all the controversy that surrounds them. They, they struggle with all these areas. God, I can hear you scream it from heaven. Come back to Bethel. So today, God, I pray for 
whoever you may have on their heart today, that return, that homecoming, to come back to Bethel, where you, where you are present, where you want to wrap your arms around them. Don't let anybody leave this place today and say, surely the presence was God was here and I didn't even know it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you that chance if you're here this morning and you go, I can't have a, a broken hallelujah because I'm stuck in brokenness. God wants you to come home this morning. He wants you to surrender to him at Bethel so that you can have a life of greatness. He's faithful to you because of those who've prayed on your behalf and the promises he has. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning to find a place up here. Let us pray with you. Let us care for you. Uh, but let God welcome you home. If that's it, I want to give you that time this morning.